NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Hey, Beyond the Fairway Podcast, Doug Smith here alongside Will Lowry. Will, what's, man, I love this guy, Will Lowry. Always so fresh to death. He kind of looked like me today, Will. What's up? Hey, you know, we got Michael Leaves coming in here from ESPN. He's fresh off of anchoring at the uh, Masters. We do want to catch up with him a little bit about that. But you already know this is your home for all things besides the scores and the highlights. We go beyond that. That's why the name's Beyond the Fairway. Will, what's going on, buddy? Not man. You know, I'm interested on in this Michael Eaves uh, interview. You know, to get these two Kentucky boys in oh, my, man, in my, gonna, in gonna my boxes. <laughs> so I can't wait to see what the hell y'all got to say. <laughs> Absolutely. But, but look, let me say this. Looking at golf over this past weekend, Lydia Ko, wow. 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 I read a stat, Will. Listen to this. Let's, I'm going to break this down real quick. We're going to talk about some scores real Hit quick. Me. The last 100 holes, she's made 39 birdies, one eagle, and one bogey one bogey in a hundred holes of golf like who what what sport is she playing because i wow i mean so is that is that safe to say like a star is born again like i don't know because i mean i mean think about it. i mean she, this is her first win in three years you know uh she had a she had so many great rounds sort of especially that 62 coming off a and a inspiration we knew this was coming it's so funny you know like when you when we talk to sean i keep replaying the Sean uh, interview uh, in my head. I feel like all of Sean players, from the physical standpoint, is going to come about. They want to figure it out. But I feel like all Sean players, from a mental standpoint, Sean Foley, who I mentioned in the previous uh, Beyond the Fairway uh, interview that we had, I feel like all Sean Foley uh, players are in a great mental space. Mm. Like no matter no matter where where they are in the physical part in the mental space they're okay and you know by her you know pulling off this win this week uh, I just it, it was as expected yeah back in the winter circle since 2018 it's funny I saw another stat where they compared her and Jordan Spieth we've got two resurgence will of players that became household names really quick you know just after their tour debuts and now back in the winner's circle so I I'm actually hyped for Jordan you know but Lydia man. Wow. And then you know what? On the flip side, we talk about RBC Heritage. We got Stuart Sink, all 47 years old, absolutely taking the younger setting, guys out back and showing them how to play records. a little G. Setting it's, records. I mean, I feel like 47. his son is taller than he is. Stuart Sink's like 6'5", and his son's looking down like, hey, Dad, hit this wedge. Hit this wedge right here, Dad. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? It's definitely a family affair there at Hilton Head this weekend. Yeah, man, Stuart Sink, man, his uh, his win was impressive. Uh, you know, get, given the fact that you say he's 47, I mean, he held a halfway lead after 36 holes, you know, which was one probably one of the oldest to do it at that time. And also, he held a 54 hole lead as well. So, man. you know, when, when you when you when you enter in the weekend with a five shot lead, and you enter in on Sunday with a five shot lead, I mean, we kind of pretty much know it's a it's a wrap. You know, yeah, that's a that's a wrap in the making. 
Oh, you know, we saw the whoop on his wrist. Well, I would have liked to see what his strain was because it looked like he was chilling out there. He had his son in the bag, his other son in the in the gallery. Um, wife was there. It was it was such a family affair this week for Stuart Sink at the RBC Heritage. Yeah, yeah. You know, they they the whoop measures on a zero to twenty one scale. I'm sure he was at point zero five. He was right. out there chilling. He, but look, he, without further ado, Will, let's go ahead and bring Michael Eves in here, ESPN's very own. Because guess what? Time to go Beyond the Fairway. Hey, Beyond the Fairway podcast, welcome in ESPN's very own Michael Ease. What's going on, Michael? Yo, what it be like? Man, we just living, brother. We just out here living, trying to be I like you. That. That's what it is. That's what it is. <laughs> I don't know about all that. Well, to, you, you didn't want to be with me during my week at Augusta. You wanted to be Michael Ease that week. I will say that. The other 51 weeks out of the year, maybe not so much, but that week, that was a good week. What, take take me through that real quick. How in the hell did you get on the first tee box at Augusta? Not so much with a microphone in your hand. How did you get on the first tee box at Augusta with a club in your hand? Bruh. <laughs> like, it, it's still kind of trippy on the real. Um, so, like, every year at the Masters, they do have the, the lottery on Monday for members of the media to be able to play the club. And, and the networks also have sponsors they treat and bring out. You know, it's, it's a whole deal, right? And this was my fifth consecutive Masters. And Ooh. all those other times, I'd never, you know, won the lottery. Now, in 2020, of course, they didn't have it because of the pandemic. And I went down there thinking they were not going to do it again this year for similar reasons because they only had limited people on the ground. Um, but they did have it. And I was lucky enough to get a slot. And it's crazy because there's a man by the name of Lee Bennett. He's uh, basically, he works for Augusta National. He's sort of the liaison between the club and all the media outlets, right? And he mm-hmm. knew how badly I wanted to play. Once he found out that I had a slot, he wanted to be the one to tell me, right? So I'm sitting on the set, um, I guess this morning, uh, I finished one of my center hits, and the producer in my ear tells me, uh, Mike, to text you, uh, you when we're done. And Mike, Mike McQuaid is my golf boss, right? And I was like, mm-hmm. damn, did I, did I mess something up? Like, whatever. And so he gets on, he's like, hey, be, this was, be in position, blah, 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 blah. So it was very formal. Then he said, hold up, though. I got to put someone on from Augusta National. You're like, what I do? For real, though. Yeah, you and messed so him up. Lee sure. gets on. <laughs> I know, right? So Lee gets on, and he tells me. And he wanted to see my reaction when he told me. And in our studio, there's a camera that goes back to our production compound. So he could see me as I'm on the phone. But I'm surrounded by a bunch of people, and I, I didn't want to geek out, like, you know. You should have geeked out. Because no one else is going to play the course. It was your right to geek but out. Me, but I was like, in my mind, I was like, don't play with my emotions, Smokey. That's what I was thinking, right? <laughs> right. Um, but no, like, it was it was really cool to, to find out I was going to get to play. And then you got to sit on that, dog, for like three days, right? Like, I called my wife immediately. My wife was hyped for me. But still, it's like, you're still waiting for Monday to get there. And, bruh, I was the first group off. Monday morning, I hit the first tee shot in the first group. So Matsuyama put it out on Sunday. Eves hit the first shot on Monday. That's Ooh, you know yeah. kind of crazy, right? I like that quote. But it was it was a phenomenal experience, man. I'm so, so blessed to have had the opportunity. Well, now given the fact that you just won that lottery, now are you eligible yeah. for next year, or how does that work? Nah, you you're out, you're out for seven down. years. Seven. Seven years. Seven. Yeah. I mean, oh, it's still worth it. It's, it's like you got it, your though. fix. You can go head on back over here. Yeah, I'm and, good. It, I'm good. Yeah. But he, you know what, though? 
it is such a tease, though, because, and granted, we don't play the Masters tees, which are like 7,400 yards. The members' tees are about 6,400. So it's about a 1,000-yard difference, right? So gotcha. if you are a decent player, and I'm a low single-digit handicap, it's a playable golf course. Now, the greens, as Phil Mickelson said, will always be the, the yeah, defense of that is. golf course, and that mm-hmm. is the case. But from a playability standpoint, I should be able to hit pretty much every green with the, with the relatively short to mid-iron in my hand. Right outside the par five, you try to get up, you know, hit them in two. So I, if I'd have played it again that afternoon or even the next morning, I think I would have shot a better score. But dude, I was so geeked on the first tee, I, I hit it right in the trees, made double, <laughs> put it in the bunker on two, which is an easy birdie hole. So I'm, I'm three over after the first two holes. Like all my like rhythm is gone, and it took me a while to get it back. But I played Amen Corner and one under. So sounds like Will um, last yeah. week up in Vegas. Just, oh word! Oh, he, <laughs> he throwing jokes. That was a that was. Why a, we gotta uh, bring out old stuff? That, that was a that was an AP APGA event, the Advocate Pro Golf. Oh Tour yeah, event. I saw that. Event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's being funny. That's a, all I'm right. Just, one, I'm just jealous one point, I didn't get to one, play. One point for I'm him. I'm just saying, Doug, what'd you shoot? <laughs> I didn't play, but I'm, I'm ne- oh. next week. Next week we'll be uh we we in the mix. I'm back in the rope, so it'll be the first time right, in, in, in a long time. But Michael, tell me, you know, your father was a big golfer and you know i know augusta national and and the masters plays a special part in your golf fandom tell me a little bit about what it is about the masters um we all know the the history of the club from a racial perspective but what is it um that you know you love about augusta the masters the tradition unlike any other it is my favorite week of the year and it's my favorite event and that was well before i had the opportunity to cover it for espn it's just been that way for a long time and like my first golf memories are being in the backyard of, of our house uh, there in Kentucky with my dad chipping balls and, and learning how to play, but also sitting down with him and watching the Masters, right? So it was, it was a special place um, because of the golf course and just the, the legends who have won there. So it's always special um, in my memory. And so to be able to, A, have the opportunity to go there to cover it was a huge deal. And then this year, to be a part of the actual telecast on Thursday and Friday is one of the highlights of my career. Because if you think about it, in the entire history of that event, as long as CBS has had it, and even ESPN over the last several years having the Thursday and Friday broadcast, mm-hmm. there's only a handful of people who've actually appeared on that telecast, right? So to have my name listed on that group of announcers uh, was a huge highlight of my career. And I just wish my dad was still alive to have been able to yeah. see that, right? Like. I was going to ask you what you think Pops would say. I don't know, man. My, my dad was old school, right? He was real old school. You know, he, he didn't show a bunch of love like the way we show it now, hugging and, and telling you, you know, things like that. He, he would do it other ways. I know he would be proud. He would be talking about me to other people mm-hmm. more so than he would be talking to me about what I did. But there's no doubt he would. There would be a lot of pride in what he did and in, in what he did in raising me to get to a point where I had that opportunity. Right. So I, I know that, but I would love to know what that conversation would be like. You know, like, I, like one of the first times I went there, I did an interview with Jack Nicholas and I introduced myself. And Jack says, Michael, I know who you are. Like, did he size you up? On that. Did well, Jack size you up? Size oh, up. Like, nah, I'm a big dude. Like, I, I'm much sm- I'm much bigger than people realize on television <laughs> until they see me in person. And uh, no, no, Jack didn't want that smart. So <laughs> was uh, so was dad a big golfer himself? Like, was he a huge, huge golfer himself? He picked it up late in life. He probably picked it up his late 40s, early 50s. My dad was 52 when I was born, right? So mm. as long as I can remember, he had been playing golf, but he hadn't been playing very long relative to 
you know, the time I was born. And then he retired from his job when I was about 10, right? And so in the summers, that's all we did. We played golf all the time. And I wanted to be around my dad, you know, as most young boys do. And he said, well, if you're going to be with me and, and be on the golf course with my friend, you're going to have to be able to play and play well. And so that was the motivation for me as a, as a youngster to get really, really good. And, and fortunately for me, we also had a lot of land at our house there in Kentucky. So as I was growing up, I could hit balls in my backyard up until about 150 yards. So once I got to like middle school, high school, I couldn't hit, you know, drivers, long irons anymore. I was still hitting like sand wedges and stuff. Um, but I had that opportunity. So I could go chip anytime I wanted to in my backyard. And then we had our own golf cart with a public facility there where sometimes they would just drop me off the golf course with the cart by myself. And I would just play all day until my parents would come pick me up later. So I, I was blessed in that regard to have the opportunity to play because my dad loved to play. Now, now I'm looking at all of Kentucky pride right here when it comes to black golf, you know, the, the, the two beiges per people I know that play golf in Kentucky. So I want to know, like, where, how far did you guys grow up from each other? Cause I, I, I don't know if Doug's city is on the map actually. Hey man, I hold think, on. It's a town. It's not it's, even that. Okay, no, okay, it's a town. I guarantee you, I guarantee you my town is smaller than Doug's. Okay, no way. Where, hold no on. Way. Mike, where are you from? Hold on. Where are you from? I'm from White Plains, which is in Hopkins County. I, knew, I was going to say Hoptown. That was going to be my guess. Yeah, that's outside. See, Hoptown is in Christian County. Okay. But it's neighboring counties, right? So I, I, was, I grew up about maybe less than 30 minutes from Hopkinsville. Okay. So, you you know, you got that Robbie Moss connection out there, you know. Uh, yep. So hold on. Wait a minute. What courses did you play? Because I'm, I'm from, I always tell people I'm from Lexington, but I'm actually from Versailles. Not Versailles. Dude, Versailles way bigger than my town. I, I, dude, I, I know. I, way I went bigger. Elected, what was a golf course? In Versailles, right when you get past the castle, right yep. past Bluegrass Parkway, is on the right. Yep, that's where I grew up. That's Cabin. It was Cabin Brook now. Or Cabin then. Brook, yeah. Cabin Brook right. then, and then they changed it to like, hell, I don't even know what it's called now. I haven't been home right. so long. So I used to play they, Cabin they, Brook they when, I was, when I was in Lexington. So I, I grew up playing a nine-hole golf course in Madisonville, Kentucky. It was it was at the city park. It only had nine holes. And then around the time I was late junior high, early high school. Another course in Hawkinsville opened up called Western Hills. It had 18 holes plus mm -hmm. a driving range. So that's when my game really took off because I had the, the full capability to practice throughout the bag without having to go play all the time. But my hometown of White Plains only had like 800 people in it. And yeah, of those 800 game. people, there were only six houses with black people in them. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It's a little wow. different for we you than it was for me. Yeah. Well, well how was well, golf, though, for you in that side of Kentucky? Because I've had my... I've had my moments in the state where I was definitely not welcome uh, to a few golf courses there, especially in uh, southeastern Kentucky. I, I was I was never welcome. But how was yeah, how was so, growing up as a black man in the game in Kentucky? I, there were always surprising looks when you showed up to most places. Quite honestly, especially like I've always been like a fairly big kid. Like I I didn't have like a huge growth spurt, right? I've always looked like I played football, right? So I got a lot of those looks as well. Like, what's a football player doing playing golf? But there was a country club in Madisonville, um, and I played a couple of junior events there. And my dad wanted to join the club, so he saw an opportunity for me to take my game to the next level, but we didn't have the practice facility. Mm -hmm. And they saw me compete in some of these junior events, and they said, like, all right, well, kids clearly got some talent. And they were like, all right, you can join the club and you can play here, but you can't use the dining room and you can't use the locker room. 
So this is in, you know, the mid eighties, early to mid eighties. And my dad almost did it. He almost did it for me to be able to have that opportunity. But at the same time, my dad's got too much pride to give some people some money and not be able to use the same facilities as a reminder of just how unwelcome we still are. Right. So that's one of the things I remember from an early standpoint about um, how exclusionary the game could be, even at that time um, in the we're talking about the 1980s. We're not talking about, you know, 1948 or even before Lee Elder played the Masters yeah. in 1975. We're talking about in the 80s. And but yeah. in some parts of the country are still that way. You know, you know, I I'm it's amazing seeing you guys from Kentucky. I'm sure you guys can talk about, you know, your different variants of how to milk cows later. But I want to, I want to kind of uh, touch on your your career as far as being in broadcasting. I mean, your list of 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 accolades that you have achieved over the years is quite amazing. And I, I guess I want to know, you know, was the Masters, you know, you've been broadcasting Masters for the past five years. It, was this the dream job? Is 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 there anything that compared to this, or this is where the buck stops with you? It was definitely at the highest event on my bucket list from a professional standpoint. There's no question about that. And again, it goes back to what I said earlier about there's only been a handful of people who appeared on the telecast. You can look at a Super Bowl, NBA Finals, World Series. There's been a lot of people have broadcast those games. There's not mm -hmm. as many people have done the Masters. So my love of golf, my appreciation for golf history, and what I do for a living, yes, it was at the top of the bucket list by far. Yeah. So, Wilhelm, we got to touch on something here because we, we started it earlier before we started recording, but we got to talk about you coming up through the ranks because when I was a young guy, I know you're on WKYT doing sports uh, for the CBS yeah. affiliate back in the day, and I actually remember, I wish I had video and clips of you because I would put it up right now. But <laughs> when you when you went to Kentucky and just talk about, I want to know about the route to kind of where you want to go for, for kids out there. Because when we talk about broadcasting, we talk about, you know, being and talking in front of the camera, there's really mm -hmm. not a, a, a linear route. Everybody just says you got to learn it as you do it. So when you were, you know, at Kentucky and you were trying to get to these varying places, what was kind of the route for you to get to where you are today? Well, that's a good point because there is no right or wrong way to do it necessarily. Um, because every person is different and media has evolved so much over the last, you know, 15, 20 years, and I've been in the game for, you know, more than 25 years that, you know, I share my story, but also tell, you know, young students and aspiring uh, broadcasters that my journey is not your journey. You've got to figure it out for yourself in a lot mm -hmm. of regards. Um, but when I went to University of Kentucky in the early 90s, you know, the journalism curriculum was more print-based than broadcast. We only had like one or two broadcast classes. And so it wasn't until my senior year, a couple of days before classes started, that I even had the opportunity to get some real broadcast experience at WKYT. They had a uh, relationship with the school to get some credit, things of that nature. But the, the news director ended up giving me a job instead, right? And so I was going there working uh, on the morning show. I had to be at work every morning at 5 a.m., Monday through Friday, to help with the morning show. And so I learned television production uh, by just jumping into the deep end of the pool, right? And I had to sink or swim. And I, I ended up swimming. I took a lot of initiative with that opportunity because it was a news job. It wasn't in sports, but that's eventually what I wanted to do. So I did that job for like two semesters. I graduated. They gave me a full-time news producing job. Again, job okay. in the building. Um, and then that fall, they created a, a position just for me that was sports reporting and also sports producing. So I, I put in the work to be, at, you know, to show up every morning at 5 a.m. That takes a lot of uh, initiative because a lot of people don't, 
I was getting home at 5 a.m. more often than I was getting at work to 5 a.m. You know what I mean? So that was a that was a whole thing. That was a whole thing. And then I just kept working at it, man. Like I was doing look, it's like anything else in life. You have to put in the work when no one's watching if you want to be great, right? It's like professional Plant sports. Plant that seed. Anything else. Like how many balls do you think Masayama hits on a regular or Tiger or any of the greatest players, right? Any guy who's ever won the Masters, they put in mad work long before they get to the golf course. And so yeah. I was doing that outside of whatever my job responsibility was, trying to, you know, get my game together. And so I went from Lexington to Memphis, and I was there for, you know, three years. And a couple of things happened in Memphis that were very fortunate. Um, John Calipari took over the Memphis basketball program, so that was a huge deal. And the station I worked for, we broadcast their games. Uh, the Mike Tyson-Lennox-Lewis fight came to Memphis. And so I was able to cover like the biggest event uh, in the world at that day. And the Grizzlies moved from Vancouver. And so I ended up doing their sidelines on Fox Sports South. So I had all this experience in a very short period of time. Then I went to LA and I was out there for 10 years uh, doing Lakers, Clippers, Dodgers, Angels, um, everything. I did Pac-12 football and basketball. I had all those opportunities. And then eventually I came to the East Coast, ESPN. So that was my route. But wow. As I tell people, it's it's not the route, it's the work. What did you do when what did you do in between those opportunities that when that opportunity came for you, you were ready for it and you you could take it to the next level. And it's all about putting in that work. You know, you know, there's a, you know, like I said, you have a, a long list of accolades you've done. Uh, you just named a, fi- a few right there. But I I want to know this particular route. How in sure. the hell did you land to be the lead where well, you led the network in live coverage at Al Jazeera? News, America. <laughs> <laughs> like, 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 you know, I just want to know that one. After that, we can move on any topic in the world. <laughs> tell you, here's what it was. I tell you exactly what it was money. Okay. So, I, okay. when I was in that's, LA, that's towards the end of my reign in LA, I was doing the Clippers and the Angels pre and post game shows, and I was traveling with both teams pretty much year round, right? And, you know, NBA and MLB seasons, they overlap in the spring and in the fall. So I was I was always at a game. Like there were times I was doing like 125, 130 live events a year. And that's a lot. It really is. Mm, and I was so tired of the grind. I, I kind of want to be, you know, a little more stationary. And someone that I knew in the profession for a long time was hired by Al Jazeera and he wanted me to be their main sports guy. And he offered me a lot of money. My wife had always talked about at one point living in New York for a while. So I'm like, all right, it's a lot of money. I'm not on the road as much. Um, they've got a great footprint around the world. Let's do it. And I go there, and very shortly after I arrive, I understand that it's not going to be exactly what they told me it was going to be. Exactly. So that was disappointing. It was very disappointing on many levels. Bait, bait, like, I, felt, I felt like I got duped, right? And yeah. I don't like you know, people taking advantage of me, so I felt stupid for a minute. Um, but again, in some regards, though, if that had not had happened, real talk, I don't know if I would be at ESPN right now. Like, I don't know if I would have left LA to come to Bristol, Connecticut, but I had to get out of Al Jazeera and Bristol was right there. Right. So I had to get out of Al Jazeera. <laughs> yeah, I had to. So again, like, you know, life is funny. Like as I was going through that, man, I felt like this is a huge mistake for my career. My wife gave up her career in the film industry in L.A. to come with me to the East Coast. She hates living in New Jersey. Like, all this is wrong. And you spin it forward real fast. You're like, damn, that like that mattered in a positive way, even though it, it felt terrible Just, as I was going through it. 
Yes, yeah, it's, it's like it is. It's, it's like, like that's what life is about, man. It, it is. I, I'm, I'm real big. I'm real big on you know you can't let um, a divine delay turn to a disappointment, and that's what that was. Sounds like. You're right. So, yeah. That's good, man. You quote that. that yourself? Is that you write that? Yeah, that's Will. That's Will. Yeah, yeah, that's... yeah. You know, I'm somewhat of a poet. I'm a hooper. You know, I do it all. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. <laughs> hooper, well, golfer, like, come on, dog. Yeah, that's yeah. what we do over here. <laughs> hey, Mike, in this grind, all right, in this grind that you had jumping all over the country, you know, you talk about being at work at 5 a.m., holding it down, 125 live events. Where the hell do you have time to play golf? How do you keep your game tight when you got all this shit to do? You know, here's the advantage of, of, of my profession is I work at night, right? So during the course of the okay. day, I can go play a full round of golf. Sometimes I get in 27 holes. If I get up at a decent time in the morning, still have time to come home, shower, change, have lunch, and go to work. So that's been the benefit of my day. I don't work during the day. I, I work at night. So I have all the daylight to work on my game. And so, like, I play four or five times a week easily um i did that in la i, I do it here now I'm jealous. I mean, I, I'm, jealous it's funny. I'm jealous so i live on a golf course but i don't like this golf course so i play the club <laughs> like next door which one which one where, where are you where, which one i ain't telling you where i'm at man which golf course you like what's the home course in la <laughs> Well, in, well i can't even see i can't even tell you the golf course in la because i can't say that name anymore um Okay, you have Balboa. Nice. You, you live, you, you no, no, live no, on, Chester, just, you live on Chester, Washington. No, Chester <laughs> was the first club I ever... Chester, Washington was the first golf course I ever played in L.A. because of Kevin Frazier. Because um, he, he was out there, he's like, oh, you got to play Chester, Washington. You got to play Chester, Washington. I'm like, all right, bet, Chester, what's up? I'm like, look at all these black people. Oh, man, it's a public course. It's, it's, it's a beauty out here. Uh, but no, I, I probably played Chester's Chester a right of 20, passage, 30 times. You know? I loved it. Oh, it is. It totally is. I, I mean, I it's, love playing there. Um, but no, I live in Manhattan Beach, so I played a golf course... I played a golf course in Palos Verdes. Palos Verdes, okay. Gotcha. I know where you are. Yeah. I know where um, you are. But in Connecticut, I live on one course, but I play a different course. But we have 27 holes in my spot, and I, literally from my garage to the first tee is five minutes. So it's easy for me to go up there, play, practice, what have you, before I go to work. Yeah. So, Michael, as you uh, you know have your stature within the game of golf uh, as well as a broadcaster, when it comes to the efforts that you're seeing out here to grow the game of golf, do you feel some responsibility – uh, kind of in your seat to help push forward this era of growth, or how do you view uh, growing the game of golf? Um, I've always felt a responsibility as it relates to this game in particular of someone who is doing something for a first time, right? And Lee Elder uh, talked about this recently. Like, there's so much pressure when you're the first person to do something because you represent, as minorities in this country, we represent everyone else behind us because oftentimes we are the only person that other people see right and so as a kid you know playing golf and being black and whatever like i felt like i had to play so well to get respect for the other people who played that that weren't quite as good as me at that time right and when i became you know the first black person to work in sports at my tv station in lexington i was like all right i have to do this so some some other people will have this opportunity because they're going to be judged based on how well i do i mean that's just the fact of reality for a person of my age in this country, right? So I've never lost sight of that. So every time I do something, I'm well, I'm, I'm trying to represent myself first, first and foremost. Absolutely. But I do understand if I do well, it's like, yo, the Eve Zoo was pretty good. You know, we should add a little more diversity here. Da, 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 da. I understand that's an underlying 
thought process for a lot of people. So I do that. And when it comes to golf, to be more specific, absolutely, because I know there are so many black kids out there that ha- that could have a future in this game if they only had the opportunity to play. Because golf is expensive. I was fortunate. My dad had a really good job. He had the fun to be able to take us out there on a regular basis. But if I didn't have that experience, I, I don't know where I would be in my game specifically, but also in a golf profession, because you don't have to be a professional golfer and have a great career in golf. You can be a teacher. You can work for a manufacturer. You can do so many things in golf from a career standpoint, but so many kids don't have that initial opportunity. So if I can raise that awareness in any possible way that I can, I'm hoping that some of these young black kids across the country will be able to have that experience that can give them a fruitful life. So how, what, what what would you do for a black kid? Let's say a young kid sit on the couch who watch you every every day or every year on the Masters. What kind of route would you advise him to somewhat or be her. a part of the game or her, excuse me, or her, <laughs> uh, to somewhat be a part of the game uh, from the media standpoint in golf? Wait, what do you mean by that exactly, Will? So what I mean, like, so and I'm a big component of, I believe everything on a TV screen is what capture eyeballs, you know? Okay. I believe mm-hmm. in order for us to move forward, I'm just thinking if you're on a TV screen doing whatever it is you want to do, it can spark the whatever within to maybe want to do that. So I want to know like yeah. if if a kid is on the couch and he say, hey, I, I want to be a part of a game of golf because not everybody's going to get on the PGA Tour. Let's just be honest. Correct. You know, most people want. Yeah. Most people want. But for 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 people who want to go down that pillar of being a part of the game of golf and the media standpoint, you know, what what was what was the what was the best route you could suggest or maybe uh, impose on a young individual to be a part of golf in the media standpoint? What would you suggest that individual to do? Golf is different than most other major sports in the country in terms of I think you have to play it in some way to be a better broadcaster, a better reporter of the game. Like, you don't, you don't have to necessarily play football to cover the NFL very well. It's, it's, you just don't have to. Um, where golf is a little different in that regard um, because it's so specific in the, the way the game is played and thus the relationship you may have with players who play it. So I, I think getting involved in the game at a young age is very important in that regard. So whether that's, you know, asking your parents to take you to the golf course and, and try to get you some lessons if you have those funds or being involved in the first tee program or several other organizations around the country that help young people get involved in golf. That That is a good start, clearly. Um, but as it relates to the broadcasting aspect of it, first and foremost, you got to be good at, at, at the actual job itself, which is broadcasting. And it doesn't matter what the subject is. Like, <laughs> I, I could cover uh, the Masters or I could go out right now and cover a political rally rally because I'm a reporter. Mm-hmm. The only thing that changes is the subject, right? Gotcha. But gotcha. if you want to have that career arc that leads you to a career in golf and golf broadcasting, you've got to get involved in the game to some level to understand a little bit better. And then just always try to point your arrow towards things that lead you in that path, or whether it's covering local events, going to local events, or when you go for jobs, you're, you tell your employer, I'm very interested in covering golf. I want to do as many golf stories as possible. And here's the deal guys as well because i didn't have this luxury from a technology standpoint when i was younger but people coming up today yo this right here is a whole broadcast studio right so you can go out and you can go out right now to a local golf course and turn a story on anybody relative to golf and make it <laughs> a, really good a good you piece yeah, right you could absolutely. just go go out to a golf course a public golf course stand on the practice range or the practice green 
watch somebody, pick that person out, and go tell a story about that person. You can do that, you right? Can do that. So that you puts that. you, you know, in, in the in the realm of doing the work towards a specific job. You have the opportunity. You have the technology. You just got to make advantage of it. I didn't have that when I was a kid. It was a different route, and that's why that route back then doesn't necessarily apply to that. So, Michael, you and I are the only Kentucky guys in here. Will's actually excluded from this conversation. I got to ask you. <laughs> okay. What is your preferred bourbon of choice? You're a Kentucky guy. I'm from Woodford County, so I got to ask you, what, what, what you sipping on, man? Okay, so I have some Woodford Reserve in my house. It that's used to clear. be my favorite. Until and, and this is a trip. Until my wife exposed me to Basil Hayden, right? I'd never had Basil Hayden until my wife, and my wife's from California, and like she didn't really get into bourbon until um, we met. And then she was somewhere, and someone poured us some Basil Hayden. And she's like, "Have you tried this?" I'm like, "No." And so I'm like, "Oh, this is really good." So it, it is now my go-to bourbon. I will say, Bro Brothers out of Louisville, you got Shout three out. young brothers who started their own company. They got some good product. But if I had to have only one bourbon for the rest of my life, and if I could get it, it would clearly be Pappy Ben Winkle. I knew you was going to say a, Pappy. But I'm a fan of the 12-year-old, not the 20 or the 23. So we don't understand that. So Pappy Ben Winkle is a very exclusive bourbon. There's five different flavors, we'll say. 10, 12, 15, 20, 23 years. That's how long you've been aged. I think the 12 for me is the best based on my personal palate. But mm-hmm. you can't get that very often. I don't have any in my house. I ain't flexing like that. But I got... A couple of bottles of basil hating up the top. See, well, I'm a Woodford Reserve was my jam. It always is. It's the yeah, state. You're from there. You gotta be, I'm right? Fr- it's it's yeah. the distillery's 15 minutes from my house. But my favorite Kentucky bourbon is Willet. That bourbon, it's got a pot steel bottle. It's a very sexy bottle. Yeah. Uh, and and the flavor profile is is very very smooth. And I we could do a whole podcast on freaking bourbon. Matter of fact, we're gonna go beyond oh, the totally with, yeah. with bourbon. Will you drink bourbon? Yeah. No, no, no. I, I'm just a, I'm a vodka, I'm a vodka guy. Um, I'm a brown, brown tend to make me frown, and and when that when that happens, that that's not good, you know. Hey, but hey I, Will, here's something funny about Doug. All right, so you heard where he's from. He's from Versailles. Yes. Right? Do you know how that town in Kentucky got his name? I'm I'm so afraid to ask. So it's named after a city in France. Oh, well known city in France. Versailles, yeah. but Kentucky people can't say Versailles. They call they it Versailles. Versailles. That's the most country trash country. you've ever heard. And you, you can say that. Vers- oh, I can't. Oh, it's country. I'm, I am country. Like, I'm from a country country. So I know country when I hear it. But they all, like, Central Kentucky, they think they all have pollutant and stuff. But, no, Versailles? So, not so Versailles, I, th- th- this Versailles. Is, this is a quick question. Just a quick question from you Kentucky guys. So, you know, I know you guys out in the country. You know, excluded from civilization. Ha, ha, so ha. was was I was I was were you talk, were I you was. guys you know form of having fun or entertainment was was a cow tipping? You know, how, what, give me your strategy cow. on give, give me cow. your strategy here's on what, cow tipping. Here's what's funny. So real talk though. Here's what's funny about that. So my house where I live, there was uh, the people in front of us owned cows. So if you look at our front yard, you saw cows in a big pasture, and the people behind us own cows so you could see them in the distance right so i grew up around cows my entire life i've never milked one and i remember having like as a kid like having like slumber parties whatever people came over and someone had the idea of going cow tipping and i was like why would you want to go out there and push over a sleeping cow like it's the dumbest thing to me so i've never done it um and that's not something brothers do 
is funny. That's yeah. not hey, something hey, brothers do. <laughs> Unless they're from Versailles, because they Versailles. think they're in the city. Yeah, but like real country people, we ain't gonna ever pushing over no cows, man. Like, what are you doing? You know much, you know much manure you gotta walk past to get to one of these cows? Hey, no. like last year, pre-pandemic, I did get a chance to actually go to Versailles and and go to the oh, palace word? there, and it it was funny because I was like, ain't this some shit? You got the kid from Versailles at Versailles. Same, <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Oh my god, Versailles! Like it is the countryest thing, man. Hey, man, oh, it's man. French, we, and they, and they'll still tell you it's no, French. Man. No, this this Versailles no, or or Versailles. This this is French. Nah. No, no, we we we, so, we so, mixed it. <laughs> Michael, the the pride and joy of Versailles, Kentucky is I don't know if you know Maui Blackwelder. She was once on Big Break, uh, as well. Uh, no, uh, and mm-hmm. this guy right here in the other box, Doug Smith. So those no, are the we, two. She wait, had a what? Where? Mallory Blackwelder. She had a sign at one point at the uh, at the bank. It was like home of Mallory Blackwelder. <laughs> she she played on LPGA tour. She made it through Symmetra, like but. You know. Okay. All right, Mike. So if I had a camera and I had some B-roll shot, and I'm going out, I'm, I got, I'm having an ESPN golf tournament. We playing stroke play. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be your own ball on your whole own, as Will says, chutzpah. Let me, t- let me ask, who, who got the game? We had Jay Billis in here. I wish we would have asked him the same question when we talked to mm-hmm. him. But when it comes to the personalities and the people that we see week in, week out on ESPN. Who can actually play and who's, uh, you know, and if you feel like it, who, who, who needs some lessons? Okay. I'm going to tell you of everyone that I have encountered, right. And granted ESPN is a big place. So we're, we're not talking about our golf analysts, right? I think the three best players from an ESPN talent standpoint are Taylor Twelman, John Butchergross and Michael E. Um, mm-hmm. Taylor is an athlete. I heard of that guy. Taylor is an athlete, dude. Like, you know, he's, everyone knows him for soccer, but he was a really good basketball player um, when he was in high school. He's just a really good athlete. He's a stick. Like, he's a he's probably a 1, maybe 1. 1.5, something like that, at, at a club in Boston. Bucci is right there. Bucci's probably a 2, maybe a 3. And right now my index is 4.2. So, oh, that's um, game. All right. Yeah. I, but I would think, those we're the best three and Bucci and I've played several times because we, we work together and live relatively close, but we're, we're by far, I think the best players. Like I play with Trey Wingo, play with John Anderson. Um, I know Stan plays a lot out in LA. I've never played with Stan. Um, but I think the three best players. Those so three do. where would, uh, Jay Harris fit on this list? Ooh. You already know, you see Jay, <laughs> you know, Jay, I'm just you trying to set you up, man. You know, he's steeping over the top, um, but he's so strong that he can still hit it out there. Like Jay puts it out there with me sometimes and I'm offended because right. there's no way that swing can be able to produce that distance. Right, right. So I'm a little offended by it. Right. Uh, but I, right. Jay, Jay belongs to my club. I, I recruited him to come over to my club. Um, so yeah, we the play a lot of a, golf. The one that's right? not in your neighborhood, right? The one that's the one not in your neighborhood, not the one there. <laughs> the one in my neighborhood, just not where I live. They're oh, okay. really, really okay. close. Got really, really close. All right, Michael Eves, as we get ready to get you out of here, it is time. One thing, uh, you'll only get this here on Beyond the Fairway. It is rap for some time. So, dead or alive, you've got four rappers. You're going to play a five ball. you got four rappers that you're going to take to the course Dead or alive, you can respect them, you can not. If you think they're going to be a good time to play with. But right here, Beyond the Fairway, Rap Force with Michael Eves. Who are you going with? 
Let me go with someone who can actually play a little bit. He's alive. We'll go with Schoolboy Q. Q. Um, nice. Very nice. I'd have to go with Chuck D because I think uh, conversation would be phenomenal. So that's two. Um, see, now I'm going to go with my favorites. I, I want to talk to him. That's a, that's a great thing about golf, right? It's not just a competition. It's not just about yeah. the athleticism. It's the conversation that you could have over the course of four, four and a half hours. So I'm going to add J. Cole and Kendrick Lamar. Jake. Those are like two of my favorite rappers today. You know, they're very, both very conscious. I can understand what the hell they're saying. So, yeah, schoolboy Q, because <laughs> he can play a little bit. Chuck D, old school like me, and then J. Cole and Kendrick. And, and you know what? Not... We get a lot of Kendrick. We get J. Cole and Kendrick have come up a couple times, Will. We you might have work. to uh, We might have to try to reach out to their teams. You know, North Carolina boy, I'm going to let you get on that, Will. Yeah, I'm on And it. get them I'm in here. We're going to have a – we're going to actually do this. At some point – Mike, we're going to do a rap foursome with, with, with you, you and Q, and, and, and we'll get J. Cole to pull up. But... Real talk, like, you should get Schoolboy Q on your show because I, I, I went to a concert with him here in Hartford a couple years ago, and Kendrick was the main act, but Schoolboy was, was, on the, um, was on the billing. He had a golf cart on the stage as part of his show. Really? Oh, he's about it. He plays in LA. Oh, yeah. He plays he, all the time. Like, he is yeah. about it. That's how, he yeah, transcends, I... that's how he transcends conversations right there. That's it. I've tried to get Schoolboy. You know, you got to reach out to to seven different people to try to get the Q. But we gon' we gon' wait. Schoolboy Q, we coming. Michael Eve said so. Hey, Michael Eve, we appreciate you for going beyond the fairway right here, Golf Channel NBC with Will and myself, man. We wish you all the best, and we hope to see you on the link sooner than later, my friend. I appreciate it, guys. Good time. Hey, big shout out to Michael Eve's coming in here beyond the fairway, holding it down. You know what, Will? It is nice to have. Finally, another Kentucky guy. Like, we can actually talk some Kentucky stuff. And he knew what I was talking about. So I, I appreciate it, Mike. And it's funny. Like, I, I remember being a kid and seeing him on WKYT, the CBS affiliate out of Lexington. Like, that was he was the dude back then. You know, he still had his curl. It was a little more curled back then. But, uh, <laughs> but no, nah, shout out to Michael Lees for coming in. Mate, you know, it's so funny, man. You know, out of that whole interview, and this is a serious note, Doug, that – I really was mistaken by him. I didn't really take him for not being a cow tipper. Um, <laughs> not just kidding. But yeah, it was it was it was good to hear you guys go through the Kentucky stories, the bourbon. I learned a lot, you know. Again, brown makes me frown, but you know, with if I'm with you guys, I may try another glass of brown. Of oh, brown you got a sip of man. It's just the nectar of the gods, right there. That's the yeah, that's the good I, stuff. That's that Kentucky you. zone, man. That. <laughs> but no, I mean, Mike, just his love for. Augusta like it's it's it you can feel it when you talk to him you saw it on air over the week you can see it talking to uh, us just now like this dude loves the Masters loves Augusta and it's so important for um, varying backgrounds to be able to bring golf's greatest events because now little kids can look up to a Michael Leaves and say hey I can do that one day absolutely very very excited and very positive brother I like that dude yeah, it's all it's all about planting a seed, man. And and uh he, he he put his work, he put his time in to where he got what he wanted. And uh it isn't getting better than that. That's uh that's yeah, like I, I don't know how he goes up. I don't know how he yeah, goes Yeah, higher. I I, I, I don't it's know like, what's I don't know what's the next level. Like what what do you right. go after this? <laughs> I, mean, I guess the Olympics maybe like maybe he'll do the golf in the Olympics. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> mm, you know, that's that's uh that's that's so subjective what you think is better than that. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey Will, did you know that Whoop is the world's most 
powerful, wearable, and it provides 24-7 actionable sleep, training, and recovery insights to help you know yourself and what your body needs. Did you know that, Will? I don't know if you did. Hell no. Maybe maybe you did. I know now. (laughs) Hey, each day it measures how well you sleep, how well you recovered, and, and just how much stress you put on your body, you know, from both the workouts and just going out into everyday life you know that's that's what whoop does i don't know if you knew that but i i knew that i know now i tell you what this whole strain number starting to kind of piss me off i'm gonna be i'm gonna be real with you because what no i'm gonna tell you like no let's just be real like let's let's the best feature it's the best it is it's it but what pisses me off is if you like me and you kind of work at a desk and you send a bunch of emails make a bunch of phone calls will and you actually you know try to walk and pace as you on the phone throughout the day you really think you've done something? Like I thought I was, you know, getting my steps in, as they say. But then you look at that strain, and I'll be on the on the on the on the app, like, oh man, I, I didn't do anything today. So it's like it'd be like six, seven o'clock, and I look at my strain, it's like point four or one point two, and I'm like, do I need to run this mile right now? Probably. Yeah. Do. It's yeah. just frustrating because you think you I, did some stuff, and then you have the measurables to be like, you didn't do what you thought you did. So go out and be great. I mean, that's what it does, bro. I mean, it's it's the ultimate test. It, you know, it, it tells you how much stress you're putting on your body from mentally and physically. It's the greatest thing, you know, especially, you know, when I see my strain numbers, obviously it scales from zero to 21. And so I get confused with my strain number and sometimes my maybe trackman numbers. You know, they all have <laughs> <laughs> me. But either way, when I see the number that I want on my strain, I'm happy. Trackman, not so much. But uh, but yeah, man, I, 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 it's my favorite one. And the thing about it is, what I love, I am. So, we need to get some strain stats from these mm. PJ Tour players, you know? Okay, you give think, me some more you see, you see, You see, like uh, like going back to, to Stuart Sink, you know? I mean, this is most one of the most easiest victories I can imagine. And I love to see his strain numbers. I mean, 63-63, opening first two rounds. Like, I mean, bro, what was your numbers at? Actually, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I mean, and I know I'm using wrong, uh, you know, uh, verbiage here, but where was your numbers at? Actually, you know, so I mean, you know, opening opening round both weekends, uh, well, opening round both days on the weekend, you know, five five in the lead, five ahead of lead. <laughs> I mean, did you get above point zero three at all? So. I gotta say that uh, I gotta say, man, I, I'm happy to, to see these stats, and uh, congratulations <laughs> to, to 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 Stuart Sink again. <laughs> Absolutely, hey! It was spring right around the corner, man. It's time to dust off those clubs, and Whoop's a great way to help optimize your game on and off the course. Right now, Whoop's offering a 15% discount code when you use Beyond B E Y O N D. Go ahead, use that promo code Whoop.com, and guess what? We're gonna save you some money. Uh, ben from Crenshaw loves saving money, so we're going to go ahead and save y'all some money right here with your group straps from Beyond the Fairway. Well, it is that time. It is. It's time for... Say the week! For... Week. Who you got? Who you got this week, bro? Um, I've got a phone call that's ringing right now, and uh, I'm not going to answer that because they're going to have to wait because we got to do Shank of the Week. Um, Shane of the week for me is going to Billy Horschel, right? Look, I know they're like, Doug, did you give it to him before? I don't know. I probably did. But look, here's why I'm giving it to Billy Horschel. Because he's a snitch. He's snitching this week. Snitching this week. Read an article, golf.com, yesterday. Billy Horschel basically said, I'm paraphrasing and I'm also adding words to make it sound better. Will Zalatoris and Bryson DeChambeau are putting too well. And we're going to have to, like, hearken this back to the belly putter days because the, the, the 
arm lock putting should be banned. It's actually anchoring. And I'm just looking at Billy like, come on, dog. Like, really? Like, why didn't you why didn't you say this two seasons ago, Billy, when when the belly puttering and the anchoring was a thing? Now we got guys playing well. Webb Simpson, another one, arm locking his way. Matt Kuchar. So now you got something to say, Billy? Guys play well with this anchoring, and now you want to say some stuff? That's snitching, Billy. I don't appreciate Shank of the Week, Billy Horschel, arm lock putt. So he was dry snitching. And you know who was calling you? That was Billy calling you. That's what you it was. Pro- I th- it probably was Billy. Yeah. My- <laughs> he, he- <laughs> that was Billy calling your ass. <laughs> he knew it. <laughs> All right. So, it. <clears throat> so my shank of the week um, goes to... You know what? This you know typically you know previous Shank of the Week's been Siwoo Kim. You know he's been Shank of the Week in the past, but yeah. he I guess he's a recipient of Shank of the Week. He's a okay. beneficiary of Shank of the Week. Maybe my Shank of the Week goes to Stephen Cox, PJ Tour official, PJ Tour, and the USGA. Now you guys may have heard. I don't know. I'm gonna catch you up if you haven't. Uh, on the second hole in the third round at the RBC this past weekend, Siwoo Kim had a birdie putt. He put the ball within about a tenth of an inch on the second hole. Now, he watched over it, and he watched over it, and he watched over it, but eventually dropped 55 seconds later. Now, the rule allots you to have 10 seconds before you have to proceed to the next shot. Now, this is where the waters get a bit muddy. Now, Matt Kuchar argued. He argued as if he didn't want to pay type argue. Hey, (laughs) The ball was still moving. The ball was still moving. He told that to the rules official, Mr. Stephen Cox. And therefore, you know, Stephen Cox said, and I quote, in this situation, the rule are modified because you couldn't argue that there comes a point in time that we've got to play that golf ball. And that's why you put the time limit on it. Well, I struggle to figure out what you're supposed to do next. When do you start the next shot? When the ball is at its rest, it's, when but it it's has still moving, it. yeah, exactly. So, does he take a penalty for hitting the ball while it's moving when we have to wait for our ten seconds to apply to us? I don't know. So, rep, there you have it. That's my shank of the week: Stephen Cox, PJ Tour official, the PJ Tour, and USGA. Wow. Just that simple. You pissing people off today, Will? But hey, Stephen Cox ain't calling me like Billy Horschel calling you. I'm okay. <laughs> <He didn't. laughs> Hey, everyone, thank you so much for going beyond the fairway with Will and myself here. Special guest this week, Michael Eves. Hey, you know how to find us. Follow, subscribe, listen, share. Hit us on IG. Let us know. Hey, you enjoying what we're doing? Share it. Let people know what's cracking. Comments are always appreciated. And guess what? We'll holler at you next week right here. Golf Channel NBC, Beyond the Fairway. Will, deuces, my friend. Hey, you going you gonna to take me cow tipping? I mean, it's real talk. I want to go cow tipping. Yeah, we can go. We can go knock over some cows. It's been a while. <laughs> NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. 
We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.